actually the first scripture we're going to read is going to be in Jeremiah. And I want you to look at Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 29. Jeremiah 23, 29. And the Lord says here, it says, Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? And I just get a picture there from that scripture, the power of God's word. I mean, there's a lot in the Bible about the word of God. But I just thought that was a, a wonderful scripture. He says it's like a fire, and it's like a rock, I mean a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Now tonight, you, you turn back to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to be studying about the word of God. It's quick and powerful, and that's where we kind of ended last week. While you're turning there, I wanted to read two more verses about God's word before we get into, uh, before we get into Hebrews and I thought about this verse and preached on it before that when Daniel was having his dreams and visions and praying and fasting and the angel Gabriel came and spoke to him he says and, and said oh man this is the angel speaking on behalf of God to Daniel and he says oh man greatly beloved fear not peace be unto thee be strong yea be strong and when he had spoken unto me I was strengthened and and I just thought about how God's word strengthens us. He was struggling with the vision that he had seen. He didn't understand it all perfectly. Maybe he didn't like what he saw. He saw a lot of end times things Daniel did, you know, and the Antichrist and those type of things that he saw. And he was uh, burdened for his people. He was burdened for his homeland of Israel and, you know, Jerusalem and so forth. And he's praying. He's not sure. He's a man of God. He fears God. He walks with God. But he says he was, when the, when the man of God or the angel of the Lord spoke to him, he said, when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened. And God's word has that power to strengthen us. If somebody lost a loved one, I don't know how many funerals y'all have been to in your lives and I've been to in my lives. And you show up at a funeral and you can see someone that you're going to visit the family. And they're devastated. And you know they're devastated. And you almost feel like not opening your mouth. You almost feel like any words I could say would not be sufficient. But but you can always speak to them God's word and really mean it. You know what I'm saying? You can say, I'm praying for you and mean it. You can say, I know that you need the Lord and he is faithful and he's going to comfort you. He's going to strengthen you. I'm trusting God with you to comfort your heart. You can say things like that. And then you leave it with the Lord. But when God speaks to him, then that's when the real comfort comes. You know, and God's word has that power, and it has the power to strengthen us. One more scripture, and we all know it. I quote, I talk about it all the time on the Emmaus Road. When the disciples walked with the risen Lord, they didn't recognize him, and they walked all day with him, and he was speaking the scriptures, prophetic, messianic scriptures about himself. And then when he, break, he broke bread with them, their eyes were open, and they realized it was the Lord. And, and he vanished, it says, out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? That's the only thing that can do that, y'all. The word of God with the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, It can be dry as dust to someone that has no faith, dry as dust to someone that's just looking into it like a, a magazine or a history book or something like that. And, you know, I've been in the prisons plenty of times in my life ministering and you talk to people, oh, I've read the Bible cover to cover, 
they didn't do anything for me and that, that kind of thing. Um, but when God's by His Spirit gets hold and it's mixed with faith, like we talked about last week, and have to be huge faith, has to be faith like a grain of mustard seed. But if it's genuine faith, saving faith, God will take that and He will expound it. He'll make it more, and He'll like because the uh, the mustard seed is the littlest of all the seeds. The Lord says, but when it's planted, it becomes the biggest of all the herbs, and the birds can even make nests in it, and so forth. So it's not the um, amount of faith, it's the genuineness of the faith. And when the Word of God, by the Holy Spirit, is mixed with faith in, the, in them that hear it, in the hearts of those that believe, He can take it and make it grow. Say, Lord, strengthen my faith. And He'll do that. But it's always going to be in conjunction, in, in cooperation with, and by His Word. So that's what we're talking about tonight. I didn't want to start this and not finish it last week. And this is going to be like a sermon tonight, a whole sermon on just these four or five verses. Let's let's pick up in verse 11, and really our key, our key is going to be in verse uh, 12. So we're in Hebrews 4, verse 11. Let us therefore, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man should fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. We all know that passage, right? It's probably very familiar to you, the part about the word of God and the boldly coming into his presence. We hear it all the time, and we ought to. It's a wonderful wonderful passage of scripture. So I just want to break this down a little bit and talk about it. Last week we kind of talked about verse 12 and we got into it a little bit about the word of God. What is it? This is not a definition of the word of God. It's more like uh, the ability or the effects of the word of God. It's quick. It means it's living. And, and it talks about the Lord being a quickening spirit. It talks about the Lord quickening a lost man and saving when he, when he saves them. That's not a word we use it very often because there's not a lot that it applies to. It that literally means to give life to or to bring to life. There's not a lot of uh, usages of that word in everyday conversation. But we talk about the Lord. We were lost and we we're found. We we're dead and now we're alive. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. So it's totally appropriate to use it with the Lord. He's a quickening spirit. Um, his word is quick and powerful. He has quickened us when we were dead in our sins and trespasses. And we're born again by the word of God, which is the incorruptible, and so forth. And so it's, this word of God is quick and powerful. And that power there is, 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 is like the same word as we find for uh, the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit. That, that uh, power of God type of power. And sharper than a two-edged sword. And what is it able to do? It's able to, uh, piercing even to the dividing asunder or dividing in half of soul and the soul and the spirit. You know, those are not the same things, the soul and the spirit. We all as human beings are created in the image of God, and we have a, 
a soul and a spirit. That those things are eternal. Our body is not. We receive a new body that is eternal. That's fit for heaven. It's fit for the long haul, so to speak. That'll be like the Lord's body. But our spirit and soul are eternal. And what we sow into that now in this present body, in this life, is going to have the eternal effects. It's important. You know, you don't figure it all out after you die. We do, Now is the time of salvation. And we walk with God now. The body will go in the grave. It'll be raised incorruptible, it says in Romans. And we'll have a new body, a glorious body, fashioned like unto our Lord's. But that soul and spirit keep going with the Lord. But the Lord's word is able to separate even between soul and spirit. We can't distinguish that in ourselves. I mean, maybe the Lord would give us a little glimpse and we could see, oh, that was just being soulish, which, by the way, is not a good thing. It would be almost like a type of worship or a type of praise or, or something that where, where it's really more governed by the soul and it could get into emotionalism. It's not emotionalism, but it could get into that. It could look very real. It could look very spiritual. What we want to be is spiritual, right? What the Bible says all, him that's spiritual and so forth. We want to be spiritually mature. We want to be spiritual people uh, like the Lord. We don't want to give over to our flesh. And we don't want to give over to letting our Christianity, our, our spiritual lives, be governed by our soul. The soul could be used to glorify God. We can worship the Lord with all our, you know, heart and all our soul and so forth and, and praise Him in that way. Heart, mind, body, and soul. It's not improper to say that, but we're not to be governed in our walks, walk with God in our spiritual life by our soul. The soul is to bring under, be brought under subjection to that spirit man, which is the new man that saved. You know, that would be a whole study in itself one night to talk about. But the Word of God, y'all, I always am amazed and I don't get tired of talking about the Bible, and I don't get, talk, get tired of talking about the Scriptures and the power of the Word of God and what it can do. I could sit there, let's say, Clarissa and I could talk for day after day for the rest of our lives and never accomplish what God could do by speaking one word to her about something in her life from His Word. You understand what I mean? I could speak a lot of good things to her. I could speak a lot of true things to her. But God's Word, when it comes along, it can do that. It's the only thing that can do that. To pierce even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Don't be ashamed of the word. Don't be a stranger to the word. You know, when you preach and teach, when you're witnessing, if you're sharing a lost person, a saved person, whoever you're talking to, bring the word of God into it. You don't have to be a Bible encyclopedia. And you don't have to uh, memorize all 66 of the six books of the Bible. But we do need to know it. And we need to be... Uh, know it in like the right way, like rightly divided. And when God puts it on our heart to be able to speak that to somebody, and it will get in there. You're not reading the National Geographic. You know, you're not reading a Sports Illustrated. You're not reading some moving poetry or something like that. It's the Word of God. And it can get into the heart of man. You're talking with somebody, let's say it's a homosexual and they're big into that movement or they're just in some way, shape or form far from God and about as far as you could be like an enemy of the cross, okay? Well, I don't have to sit there and just reason to them about a lot of different things. We need to love them like God, the Lord would love them and does love them. But at some point, you have to bring the word of God into that conversation because me being kind to them and befriending them is not going to save them. I'm not saying don't befriend them or don't be kind to them. I'm saying it's going to take more than that 
for them to be converted, for them to realize it's sin. They've heard all the arguments how it's wrong. You understand what I mean? They've yelled and somebody's yelled back at them. But the word of God can get in there if they'll let it. They have a choice in that. They can harden their hearts against it. I understand that. But if they're going to be saved, it's going to be by the word of God. If they're going to come under conviction of their sin, it's going to be by the word of God. It's not going to be some other way. And it can do that. And I'm just thankful that God has given us something that can do that. He did it in our lives. Even if you were a kid and gave your life to Jesus, somehow he convinced you that Jesus is Lord. He died on the cross for your sins, and it wasn't just here. It came to here, and you asked him to come in here. Well, that's because the word of God was able to penetrate and piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Uh, it says, it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. A discerner, it, uh, I'm sure you've studied what is discernment, discerning, and all the variations of the word. It simply means to judge, to discriminate, to distinguish, to differentiate. <coughs> Those things, in, in a lot of times, are frowned upon. Because I think if we were just judging out of our flesh, I just don't like that. I don't like that preacher. I don't like his voice when he preaches. You know, all that. That's just carnal. But God, we are to judge. Okay? It's, it's amazing how many people say, oh, the Bible says judge not. It, the Lord says judge not lest you be judged. But with, with the same measure you judge, you will be judged. That's one passage. And so we learn from that. And we keep reading. We see lots of scriptures. Where the Lord says, judge not after the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Guess what? That's a commandment too. So he's telling us there is a judgment that would be wrong. That would mean just, I don't like the way Buck, Buck looked at me. So from now on, I'm going to harden my heart towards Buck. And I'm just going to, uh, you know, set him in arm's, arm's length and kind of, you know what I'm saying? Or I could, that's not righteous judgment. That's simply after the appearance. That's the way we're not to judge. And we also ought to judge ourselves before we judge anybody else. There's lots we can talk about at judgment, okay? But when it boils down to it, God's word is a judger, judger or a judge, okay? And like I said, I taught, quoted Clinton, and I think last week where somebody would say, oh, you're, you know, you're judging me. And he would say, no, God's word's already judged that. That's already judged. I'm not, I don't have to judge you. It's already done. And the fact of the matter is, it is. I, I, you know, God's word judges. And so there is a wrong judgment and there's a right, ju right judgment. Judge righteous judgment, Jesus says. Within the body of Christ, there's a need for judgment and discernment and distinguishing and differentiate, differentiating between right and wrong and good and evil and bad and good. You know, th there's a need for that. Absolute need for that. And if we didn't have it, where would we end up? What would govern us? What would be our standard? What would be the thing, our moral compass that keeps us in line in our worship services, in our teachings in Sunday school, in, in counseling people, in witnessing to somebody? There has to be an overall standard that is the Word of God, the rightly divided Word of God, and that's why we have to be a spiritual people so that we will rightly divide it, okay? And we have to be led by the Holy Spirit and not our feelings. And if somebody offends me, um, maybe they're right. You know what I'm saying? And I need to take that to heart rather than saying, no, I'm shutting them off. You know, I'm, I'm the person that knows everything. Let God's word judge it. 
and then submit ourselves to it. It's like a fire. It's like a, a hammer that breaks the rocks in pieces. It's able to pierce even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And as a discerner of what? End of verse 12. The thoughts and intents of the heart. So we're talking about matters of the heart. We're talking about issues of our thoughts and intents. That's like your motives. You might do the right thing or I might do the right thing and the right thing in the church and it looks all right. But my motive's totally wrong. There's not a person that knows it except the Lord. Aren't you glad the Lord can point it out to you? And it doesn't even have to be some big embarrassing thing if we'll just hear from God quickly ourselves. The Bible says if we judge ourselves, then we wouldn't have to be judged, right? So if God would deal with it and say, you know what, Randy, you're, you did that for the praise of men. You did that so your church would clap for you, okay? You didn't really do that for me. Well, God's Word, by the Holy Spirit, can deal with me about that. And I wouldn't have to be embarrassed and dealt with in some big, humiliating way. You know, I would just let God's Word deal with me. So he's dealing with the thoughts and intents of the heart. I think those are going to be things like when we get to the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to study that pretty soon, I believe, the different judgments. Uh, that's the believer's judgment. Our, our, the intents of why we did what we did. Not only did we do what was right, but did we do what was right, right, for a right reason, and so forth. So God's word, again, by the Holy Spirit, is the thing that is able to, to make that active and, and effective. The word of God works effectually in us. That's what, what is able to do that. I'm very thankful for the Bible and for the scriptures and for the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth who is able to lead us into all truth. And this is how he does it. Let's keep moving. Um, in, our, in our study on foundations, we're going to have a chapter coming up pretty soon. We get into the, uh, we've been dealing with salvation up to this point. We're getting ready to, to move into the believer's walk. And we'll get into the, the Bible. And it'll be a, a good teaching on that as well. All right, and he goes on to say, now he just talked about the word of God is able to expose and judge our hearts. He says, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Uh, we were at the Foxy's Outreach last week, and Dee was uh, teaching the little kids. I forgot exactly what the lesson, but I do remember. Oh, she was talking about Jonah. And Jonah, when, when uh, he tried to hide from God, God called him to go to Nineveh, but he went in the bottom of the boat, you know, out of sight of everybody on a ship going 180 degrees, opposite directions of, of Nineveh, literally, to Tarshish. It was, I forgot how many miles away, do you remember? It was like 800 or something, 900 miles away. He's heading a long way away from Nineveh. And he's basically he's trying to get away from God, trying to get out of the plan of God. It's not something he liked. He didn't want to do it. Um, but it, it was, he was absolutely exposed before the Lord. Those men didn't have a clue on the ship what was going on. But God knew, and Jonah knew, what was going on in his heart and in his mind. And so he wasn't hiding from the Lord in the bottom of a ship. Well, it tells us here that neither is there any creature that is not manifest. That just simply means made apparent or made open, okay? In, this, in his sight, all things are naked. 
and open into the eyes of him with whom we have to do. We want to be covered physically. Uh, and we, there's a, also could be a side of ourselves, I guess you would say, that we don't want other people to see as well, where we might cover that up. We come to church and we, we might act a certain way and, and maybe our spouse or someone close to us has seen that other part. Maybe nobody has seen it, but there's nothing in there in us that God doesn't see. And it's just like bright daylight to him. You know, I used to go deer hunt a lot or hunt with my friends and we'd go out at night not to kill anything, just to look around and get those big Q-beams, you know what I'm talking about? And you plug it into your cigarette lighter and it's the big bright lights that could shine 500 yards. It's like lighting up a, a cow pasture and you can see some deer way out there in the field or hear some rabbits or whatever. And it's just bright, 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 even though it's the middle of the night. And that's what the Lord, how he's able to expose us and see us. And that's actually, y'all, um, good or bad, I guess, depending on, it's good. It's overall good. I guess it would be good or bad how you look at it, depending on where you are with the Lord, okay? If you're trying to hide some from, something from the Lord, or I'm trying to hide something, well, we can't. If, if we're misunderstood, if Reynolds misunderstood by the people in his workplace, he's trying to live for God, and he loves him and prays for him, and prays they all get saved, and being kind to him, but they misunderstand him. The Lord also sees in his heart, I know your heart, your heart's right, your heart's right towards these people. You understand what I'm saying? It's comforting to know that, right? Were you ever misunderstood? Did everybody, anybody ever believe a lie about you and perpetrate it? And you go on and on and on? Absolutely. I would think everybody in this room has. And so it's good to know that God knows the truth as well. That it's open to him. It's apparent to him. And I want to look at a couple of scriptures. Keep your spot marked there and turn to John chapter 3. Now, this is the Lord speaking to Nicodemus about you must be born again. We're going to pick up verse 18 and read through 21. We're talking about God's word making manifest, okay? Things being exposed and lit up, basically, by the word of God. It's open to him. John 3, 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light. Okay, we're speaking about God's word, making manifest. Light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hates the light, neither cometh to the light. It's still the light. It's still exposing them. God still sees what's in their heart, but to them, they don't like it because they love their sin. They love their sin. They see the choice, and they make the choice that, you know, I see all that about Jesus and him dying on the cross. That's all good and fine for others, but I like my sin, and I'm going to stay right here. Okay? And that's their choice. Everyone that doeth evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deed should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. So, the, the light of the truth of the word, you know, and Jesus is the light of the world. He kind of put it all together. 
the Lord and his word makes manifest. And so someone that's drawn to that, they come to the Lord. And they come to the Lord, and guess what? The Lord makes manifest in their heart that the work that's taking place in your life is a work of God. That your deeds were wrought in God. The light shows that. Okay? That's a good thing, right? We think about God being omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. Well, this would deal with this omniscience. He, and, and again, those, those three words only speak of God. But he knows all things. There's nothing naked. There's nothing, I mean, there's nothing covered. It's all bare and open to him. You don't have to turn there. You can go back to uh, Hebrews 4. I want to read a couple of scriptures about the, the Lord's light making manifest. In Matthew 10, the Lord is talking about sending them, his disciples out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And he says, fear them not, therefore, there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. Does that comfort you? If somebody's lying about you right now tonight somewhere and believed a lie and formed an opinion about it and gone on with their life believing that lie, it's comforting to me to know at some point, I don't know when, at some point it's going to be revealed, it's going to be judged, it's going to be set straight. I wish it was now and not a year from now or 10 years from now or 20 years from now. There can be a lot of collateral damage in the meantime, all right? But at the same time, it's comforting to know there's nothing covered that, uh, that should not be revealed or hid that should not be known. I'll give another scripture. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make, make manifest the counsels of the heart. Then shall every man have praise of God. There's going to come, if, if not before then, certainly at the coming of the Lord, the Lord's going to set things straight. All right? He's going to set it straight. One more. Ephesians 5.13 says, But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Whatever does bring something to light and, and manifest it, I'm talking about spiritually, okay? Truth and error and truth and false. God or Satan, whatever exposes that and makes it really known and apparent, that's the light. That's the light of his word. That's the light of his spirit. That's the light of Jesus uh, shining upon that. So again, I guess it depends on where you are, but God's word is able to try our hearts. Jeremiah said that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Right? We don't even know our own hearts completely. That's why I have to come before God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. We think we know it. We might to an extent. But we have to come before the Lord. That's a godly thing to do. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see, you tell me if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You do that. Okay? And the Lord is able to do that. In Jeremiah's question, when he said, who can know it? And he says, I, the Lord, try the hearts and reins of men make known or make manifest what's going on. I'm paraphrasing that part. Uh, but God is able to do it. Nothing's naked and covered up to the Lord. I mean, nothing is, is not naked and uncovered to the Lord. So let's keep going here and, and look at uh, verse 14. Hebrews 4, 14. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, 
Let us hold fast our profession. There's a lot, lot of people over the years, not only the, the faithful, the true saved people, whether Old Testament saints or New Testament believers, that have died and gone to heaven. But I think this is speaking here specifically of Jesus who's passed into the heavens. He laid down his life. He took it up again. He conquered. He, he went, it was like he took on death and the hell, and the grave and hell, and he made a triumph in them openly, over them openly. And he just took up his own life. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys or the authority of, of hell and, and so forth. And so he's passed into the heavens. It wasn't any big struggle, and he didn't need somebody to help him do it. He laid down his life. He took it up again. He says, I have this commandment of my Father, of this power, this authority uh, given to me. And it says in Acts 2, in Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, that he was risen from the dead. His body didn't see corruption. You know, Peter was quoting from the Psalms about Jesus not, not staying and corrupted in the grave. It says it wasn't possible that he was held, could be held of death. And so our high priest defeated sin and the devil and purchased our eternal redemption. And he has passed into the heavens, and that's where he is, and he's our great high priest there. A lot of other godly men and women are there before us, but they're not our high priests, they're our advocates, they're our mediators, and they didn't purchase our eternal redemption, and they didn't go to the cross for us. I'm thankful that I'll get to see them one day, whether loved ones or they're saints of God that we read about, or D.L. Moody or somebody that I admire and I, you know, would want to see one day. Um, nothing's going to be like the Lord. He's passed. He's a great high priest. You know, in all the Levitical priesthood, there were good priests, there were wonderful priests, and there were some that maybe weren't so good. I don't know. But none of them was called great. You won't read in the Bible of any of them being called the great high priest. They were high priests, and they did their responsibilities and their duties, and as a sense, some of them might have been very godly and holy. Some might not have been. But None of them were called great. Jesus is called a great high priest. And he's passed into the heavens. There he is interceding. The Bible says he's at the right hand of the Father, not twiddling his thumbs. He's there, still in our stead, still on our behalf. He doesn't have to go back to the cross. All that was done. He finished it. He's accomplished it. He's resting in a place of fulfillment. And he's doing that on our behalf. In the middle of the night, you wake up stressed and worried about something, mad about something, confused about something, wondering if you can even hang on and keep your faith in the Lord. Guess what? He's still interceding for you when you wake up in the middle of the night. And when he helps you get back to sleep and you fall back to sleep, he's still at the right hand of the Father. He doesn't sleep or slumber. He's there interceding for us on our behalf. And I'm very thankful that I have an advocate, that somebody on my side, on my side, okay, and an intercessor, and he is Jesus, the Son of God. And he says, uh, because we have this great high priest, Jesus, Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. There again, this is not saying that we save ourselves. We talked about this in the last couple of weeks. This is not saying we keep ourselves saved by our good works. We didn't get saved by works. We're not kept saved by good works. The works, good works are going to follow true faith. They will be there. If the faith is real, there will be good works. If the faith, the saving faith was genuine and the salvation was genuine, 
there'll be fruit of that salvation. You don't have to make it come. You walk in Jesus, okay? It will come. If it doesn't come, and there's no genuine fruit, or no works that follow, then we would have to take a step back and say, did I really give my life to Jesus Christ? Okay? Because if I did, it may not come as fast as I wanted to, the fruit. Okay? Or I'm, I win somebody to the Lord, and I'm disappointed because six weeks later they're, they're not in church. Or You know what I mean? Uh, time will tell. God knows those that are His, and they, they know. But if they really are saved, might not be in my timing, but in God's timing, their life will bear true spiritual fruit, just like this Bible says. Amen. Exactly like it says. And guess what? There will be good works. May not be the same works in my life. Maybe they'll do more than me. Maybe they'll do less. Maybe they'll do greater than me. Maybe they won't. I'm not the judge of that. God is the judge. But there'll be fruit and there'll be works because it was real. We don't have to keep ourselves saved. We keep ourselves, we're kept by the power of God through faith. 2 Peter chapter 1. Kept by the power of God through faith. And so all I have to do is keep my eyes on the Lord. So it says here, let us hold fast our profession. We have a profession. I'm going to give you, this is important. I, I do give a lot of uh, definitions because I think it's important that we understand. What is profession? It's an agreement of two parties. A confession. And I like this one. Terms of surrender. When I came to the Lord, so this will go back to when you gave your life to Jesus. That's what I have to hold fast to, that profession. Not some name it and claim it thing that, oh, I'm believing for this. Or if that person's not healed, and God's word says it, and I'm claiming it, and if they're not healed, then I'm not going to believe anymore. That's not the terms of our surrender. That's not the agreement that I have with the Lord. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in our hearts that God hath raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. That's the confession I need to hold to. Amen. That's the one I need to believe in. I started that way and I'm going to go out that way. And he'll grow me a lot between and grow you a lot between now and then and help us to trust him for other things and bigger things and use us to do other things and bigger things. Okay? But between the, the profession of my faith is that. The word of faith that's in your hearts. And then Paul says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that one, you know, if we confess with our mouth. And so that's the profession I'll hold on to. But I like that terms of surrender. We were, we were out on our own. All we like sheep have gone astray. All of us. So before you got saved, even for these little children here that have prayed to give their lives to Jesus, those that have, we all were going astray. And every man turned to his own way. Isn't that what the Bible says? And the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all upon his son, Jesus. That's that Messianic scripture, Isaiah 53. And so when we're, we're like sheep that have been scattered from the shepherd, and in salvation he brings us back, and we say, in essence, we might not have said, said these words, but in repentance and in turning and in confessing and professing and believing, all that kind of jumbled together, in that turn back to God, and the light bulb has come on, and we believe this gospel, we're saying my way was not the right way, God. I was going the wrong way. The way I was going was going to end in destruction. Right? Uh, oh, what's the scripture I always quote from, from Proverbs about? There's a way that seems right unto man, but the ends there are the ways of death. And in our profession, our, we're surrendering. It's the terms of surrender. It's the prodigal son coming home. I was wrong. I sinned. I wasted my money. 
I was so wrong. I sinned against God. I sinned against you, Dad. And I'm coming back, and I'm humbling myself, and I'll be happy to be a servant. I won't even complain about it. Just let me be a servant back in my father's home. That's our terms of surrender. We don't have a leg to stand on. We don't have a bargaining chip, okay? We have nothing to bring to the table. Our terms of surrender is you are right and I'm wrong. And you gave me one more day, this day, to give my life to you and to be born again. And I'm very thankful I didn't die yesterday. Thank you. So I'm just surrendering all to you. I'm not saying I'll serve you if. I'm coming and I'm saying you are Lord. And my way was the wrong way. I believe it. I'm submitting to it. I'm submitting to you. I want you to be my Savior. And I give my life to you as my Lord. That's our terms of surrender. So that's what we hold fast to. Let us hold fast our profession. That's what we're holding to. Amen? And God helps us to, to do that. I'm very thankful. Let's keep keep reading. Uh, we'll finish these scriptures tonight. 15 and 16. For we have not a high priest, we all know this, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. It does good to remind us sometimes, hard, who is this written to again? It's written to us, of course, but it was written to Jewish believers, right? They were being persecuted. Their temptation, because of their circumstances, because of the persecution and the trials and the rejection and adversity, they were so unpleasant and so harsh. The temptation was to throw in the towel and let's just go back to what we were before. We'll get all that good stuff back that we gave up. And remember the whole theme is no, everything in Jesus is better. All right? And he says here, we don't have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Infirmities is simply our weaknesses, our, uh, our frailties, our humanity. It could include the sins as well. Uh, so he can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but, he, but was in all points tempted like as we are. But what was the one difference? It's the huge difference. We have to read it. We have to say it. We have to know it. But what? But with yet without sin, Jesus, when they wanted to stone him, says, "Which of you convinceth me of sin, or can prove or convict me of sin?" They couldn't, right? They, there was none. There was nothing. And so, um, I want to look at a couple of scriptures right here. I think we need to take just a moment. Turn with me, if you would, to First John chapter three, verse five. Keep your spot there and turn to First John three. Five. These what are what I'll call just simple, basic truths, but they're an important. They're things we just need to know. How do we know Jesus wasn't sinless? Well, I just don't think he was. No, the Word of God says he was a spotless lamb. Here's a great scripture, First John three five, and ye know that he, that's the Lord, was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. If he had been a sinner in any point, word, thought, or deed, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, in any way, shape, or form, had sinned, he would not be the Lord, the Son of God, the Son of Man, okay? He would not be able to uh, take away our sins. He would need a, a Savior. We know that's totally 
beyond our imagination that he was, that he was sinless and so forth. The point is it took a sinless savior to have to be somebody not born even of the seed of Adam, not even a descendant of Adam. I'm just going to read a couple of scriptures here, again, along this lines of the, of the sinlessness of the Lord. Therefore, as by the offense of one, as Adam, judgment came upon all men. Not the Lord, though, because he wasn't born that way. He was born of a virgin. Told Mary, that the angel Gabriel told Mary, that thing which the child you're going to have is, is, is from the Holy Spirit. As, as by the offense or the sin of one, Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. That was the end result of it. Even so, by the righteousness of one, as the sinlessness of the Lord Jesus Christ, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. It's, he's so separate. We talked about it Sunday in the message. The best of men are still men. And there's such an impassable gulf between the best of men and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we talked about it. We can admire Moses and, and so forth. And yet the Lord still lets us see some sin in Moses' life. Some sin in, in uh, Peter's life where he denied the Lord. Or some sin in you know, whoever we, David's life, a man after God's own heart, but he's still a man, okay? And the Lord is so separate from that. And yet, at the same time, he became a man so he can relate and he can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. I always say this, if you cut him, he would bleed. If he didn't get much sleep, he was tired. If he didn't, without food, he was hungry. If he was hot in the desert and didn't have water, he would be thirsty. He would he could be touched with that. He knew what it like. He knows what it's like to be ridiculed, to be mocked, to have a crown of thorns put on his head, and beat it in with a, a reed, and it went into it. Okay, he felt that. He wasn't like some superhero with a glass bubble around him, and none of that affected him. Uh, he knew what it was like to be betrayed. Okay, there, there's. He, he can be touched with those things. Yet, in all of those human conditions and frailties and hurts and everything, he is still yet without sin. You can go through all of those things, he can, went through all those things as a man, yet without sin. And that's an amazing, amazing thing. One more scripture, uh, well, I'm just, I'm gonna, uh, I'm just gonna go on, but, but the Bible says that when he was uh, in Philippians 2, where it talks about being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself became obedient unto death, even the death of, on the cross, that he when, when he, he being God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but humbled himself and made himself to no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of, of sinful man, yet without sin. And so because of that, we have this advocate, we have this intercessor that did what no other high priest or good man or godly man or godly prophet has done or could have done. And he's finished and, and the work is complete. So I want to read the last scripture and we'll finish with verse 16 tonight. Because of all these things, let us therefore come. Okay? Let us therefore come. Jesus said, come unto me all you that labor, labor and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Come unto me. The, the invitation is to come. And we can come boldly. How can we come boldly? That simply means with openness, assurance, publicly, and freely. I'll say it again. Let us therefore come boldly. That means with openness, 
with assurance, that's a confidence. Publicly, we can come publicly and not be ashamed and freely. That's an amen. Um, we can come boldly where? Before the throne of grace. His throne is called the throne of grace. And it's similar to the mercy seat. You know, in the, in the Old Testament, uh, coming over the ark, there was the mercy seat. And the Lord would manifest his presence right there above the mercy seat when a high priest would go in. That's the, was the meeting place. Right above the mercy seat. That's where God would meet with man. Right? And, uh, and it says, let us boldly become, come before his throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And I just found this out as many times I've quoted that and studied it and read it. Really what time of need, it means what it says it means, but in one of the translations or in the definition says it literally means like in the nick of time. What we would say is the nick of time. We find grace and mercy or help or strength just in the nick of time, just when it's needed. That's when he, he has it there for us. He's not late with it. You know what I mean? We, we can find grace and mercy in our time of need. It means right in the nick of time. He is provided. Go find it there. You won't find it anywhere else. You'll find it there. It's the throne of grace. And that's where he, he meets us. I read this from a country. Jesus died to save us. He lives to keep us. Under the Levitical law, all men could not go into that holy place, that most holy place. We know that. Only the high priest, only once a year, and not without blood. We'll study that more in chapters 8, 9, and 10 when we get there. But we have that privilege uh, to go. It doesn't mean that men didn't have wonderful relationships with God before the cross. They did. But this is something that is unique to New Testament Christianity, okay, to the finished work of Christ and his ascension at the right hand of the Father, where he's our advocate, to really boldly come into his throne room of grace. Literally, we can do that. And literally, a man could not do that under the Levitical law. Again, it doesn't mean that people didn't have wonderful relationships with God, saving relationships with God, and intimate relationships with God. It doesn't mean they couldn't find grace or mercy from the Lord in the Old Testament. Just start reading and you'll see it, okay? But it is something unique that being born again is new to the New Testament, okay? To Jesus. and to That is something that's new. His spirit actually indwells in us and we're joint heirs with Jesus and we're partakers of his divine nature. Those things are new. And in that relationship that we have to call, cry, Abba, Father, and so forth, that is new and it's a blessing. I want to close by reading this one scripture. And this is our altar time. You can go on and start now praying, thanking God for his word. Come boldly before his throne of grace. And this is what it says. This is the invitation the very last book in the whole Bible and the spirit and the bride say come and let him that heareth say come and let him that is a thirst come and whosoever will let him take the water of life freely that's the invitation where we can come boldly before his throne room of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need and I need it I need the Lord I need his grace. I need his mercy. I know that you do. I know a lot of the hurts you've gone through. And a lot of hurts you have, I don't know about. But the Lord knows about all of them. Amen. And we're going to come to him. We're going to call upon him tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.